Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture by the spectator world. My name is Matt Purple, and from the realm of the canceled, I'm joined by Amber Athey. And today we're going to be talking about something that's hit us pretty close to home, and that is that my co-host here has been canceled, uh, not for the first time, and we can only hope not for the last because it gets us lots of attention whenever it happened. Uh, but but this new one, I think, uh, this freshest of cancellations, I think, really meant something to her. Uh, up until recently, Amber was one of the morning co-hosts on a radio show on WMAL. WMAL is the big conservative talk radio station, ostensibly conservative talk radio station here in Washington, D.C. It's a question of just how far does conservative opinion, acceptable conservative opinion, extend. And apparently it doesn't extend to making fun of Kamala Harris. Uh, Amber did this in a tweet, and she was promptly fired from her show at WMAL. That's the kind of thumbnail version. You can read more about it on our website right now, a piece that Amber wrote called, I was fired for a joke about Kamala Harris's outfit, which is getting a lot of attention. But Amber, I'm going to shut up and and hand it over to you. Uh, Give us a sense, first of all, um, uh, what was your job at WMAL? Uh, What were you doing there? And tell us a little bit about the station. Yeah, um, good question. I haven't really been able to share that yet, so I appreciate that. So basically... Last year, I believe in January, the radio station decided to shake up some of its programming. They rearranged the morning drive time hour hosts and the afternoon drive time hour hosts. And we're just trying to basically do a bit of shuffling. And what they did at that time was they moved Larry O'Connor, who's been a host on WAL for quite a while, into the morning drive time um, hours of 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. And they decided that they were going to create this show called O'Connor and Company, that was going to have rotating co-hosts. And we sort of had like an audition process where we, a few of us would come on and guest host a couple of days a week for a few months. And they could kind of see if there was chemistry between us and Larry and, and how the reviewers and listeners were feeling about how the show was going. And I believe it was the end of summer where they, when they actually offered me to come on as an official employee working two days a week. So as of October 1st um, was the official start date. I was an official co-host of O'Connor Company, and I was on the program every Wednesday and Thursday from 5 to 9 a.m. So this was a regular rotating gig. I absolutely love doing it. One thing that I think is really underappreciated about radio is just how much more time you have to talk than when you're on cable news. I mean, you can really expand on a lot of these stories. And also because we were local, we played a really big part in amplifying a lot of the parents' voices in Virginia and in Montgomery County, Maryland, and really giving rise to that movement. So I felt like what we were doing on the show was really important. And it strikes me as really hypocritical in a way that on WMAL, we would talk about how horrible it was that the parents in Virginia were being labeled domestic terrorists by Joe Biden's DOJ and how that was essentially cancel culture at the highest level with the government actually going after citizens for holding the wrong opinions about their children. And then just a few months later on March 9th, they basically did the same thing to me by canceling me over what I understand were a few emails sent to corporate by some pretty nutty left-wing activists. So let's set the scene here. So it's the the night of the State of the Union address. President gets up and speaks. This is about two months ago, I believe. 
And Kamala Harris is standing there. It's always the vice president, the speaker of the house standing behind the president. And you made a joke on Twitter that was frankly in line with what a lot of people were saying. Yeah, the joke was, I think, not very original, actually, (laughs) which is why it's kind of (laughs) annoying that I'm the one that got in trouble for it. Because I saw a lot of people saying that Kamala did look like a UPS employee. And um, apparently my mortal sin was using the old UPS slogan, which was what can Brown do for you in the tweet. And what was really strange about it is that the tweet initially didn't spark any backlash, which I think goes to show just how dishonest the smear campaign was because there wasn't this, oh my God, I can't believe she said this. Like we have to start calling people and making sure that she gets fired. It was not until a few days later when I was arguing with protesters at the University of North Texas about whether or not children should be able to medically transition to a different gender that they went back and found the Kamala tweet and screenshotted it without the context of it being about her State of the Union outfit and started sharing that far and wide as proof of me being a racist. Right. So this tweet said, and I'm looking at it right now, quote, Kamala looks like a UPS employee. What can Brown do for you? Nothing good, apparently. Fairly harmless, I thought, in the long run of things. Also, I would say an accurate statement of fashion. I mean, I'm not a fashion critic here at The Spectator. That's not my my bandwagon. But she looked like she was wearing brown felt. I mean, she was being attacked all over Twitter for it. Maybe that overall sentiment, not your tweet, but maybe the overall sentiment was a little bit catty, but, you know, cattiness on social media, go figure, right? That's not like that's unprecedented. So like you said, you're, you're engaged in this bigger issue. They then go rooting back, they find this tweet. And what happens to you at WMAL? Yeah, so it actually took quite a while, because if I remember correctly, that social media campaign was maybe the first Thursday or Friday of April or excuse me, March. And it wasn't until the following week after I hosted the show per usual on Wednesday morning that I got a call in the afternoon around 3 p.m. from the vice president of Cumulus um, for Washington, D.C. So this is the person who oversees all the programming for the D.C. radio stations underneath Cumulus. And then the vice president. And sorry of, to interrupt, but Cumulus yeah. is a massive radio conglomerate, a huge it's, yeah, broadcasting company. Yeah, think of like company. Salem or Sinclair. That's the size of Cumulus as a broadcasting company. So they host a lot of conservative stations across the country and some liberal ones too, but they make the vast majority of their money from conservatives. And then the other person who was on the phone call was the vice president of human resources for Cumulus. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh no, (laughs) because obviously like once you're in front of HR, you're probably pretty screwed. Um, And sure enough, they told me that they had um, been made aware of a tweet that I sent on March 1st, which was the State of the Union tweet about Kamala Harris that was racist, that I had violated their social media policy, and that I was terminated effective immediately. I would receive no severance. I would not be back on the program for the Thursday morning show like I would be. And they were going to send me my last pay stub in the mail. And that was it. And that was it. And that that was a while back. Now, there was a period of time in between where you stayed silent about this. You didn't really talk about it. Um, is there a reason for that? Now you're coming out, you're being vocal about it now? 
Yeah, there are a couple of reasons. I don't want people to think that I was, you know, trying to time this to be opportunistic. Basically, what was going on is I was having some legal conversations. And then a lot of the other hosts at WMAL were trying to lobby corporate executives to change their minds. And I wanted to give them the opportunity to exhaust all of the potential avenues for recourse before I went public, because I understand that this is bringing a lot of heat on them too. And they've been really supportive of me. They've all tweeted in my, on my behalf. They have actually talked about my situation on their programs on WMAL. And I'm so appreciative of that. Um, so I just didn't want to go out there and really flame the station until they were able to do everything that they could behind the scenes to potentially rectify the situation. Right. So, um, so you ended up getting fired there. And I think at first blush, what's most striking to this about what's most striking to me about all of this is that Washington, D.C., the most popular station here, the most popular station, I think, in America is WTOP, which is just flat, straight news, right? If you want to tune in for two or three minutes, get the headlines, you go over there, the weather and traffic and so on. WMAL is the talk station, you know, th- this is supposed to be conservative flamethrowing to a certain extent. And you look at their lineup, 6 to 9 p.m., they have Mark Levin, who has kind of made his his game as a, uh, lack of a better way of putting it, a conservative Don Rickles, a kind of conservative insult host. Um, uh, ben Shapiro can be a lightning rod. He's on from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. So it, it's not like, and Cumulus, of course, hosts a wide variety of conservative hosts part of whose purpose is to stir up controversy and get people thinking and get people talking. Right. And sorry to interrupt you, Matt, but this is the network. This is the station that hosted the Rush Limbaugh show for 20 years. (laughs) If they fired a a talk show host every time that the left accused them of being a racist, there would be nobody left. There would be no Rush Limbaugh. There would be no Ben Shapiro. There would be no Dan Bongino. All of these people would be out of the business because that is what they do. They throw around false accusations like this because they know that there are too many corporations out there that fall for it and just want to try to do the easy thing and, and get rid of us because they don't want to deal with a few you know, inconvenient emails. Um, For them, in their perspective, it's a lot easier to just get rid of the perceived problem. But what they didn't plan on this time is that I'm not the type of person to sit down and shut up about it. I'm the type of person who is going to defend myself very publicly, and I'm going to flame them and make sure that everyone knows that this is a direct attack on the ability of all of their hosts to do their jobs and the basic integrity of WMAL as a conservative radio station. Right, because my sense with this is that they thought they could get away with it because you were a relatively small fish, at least up against somebody like Mark Levin. But in the age of Twitter, that just doesn't work anymore. You know, anybody can get on and attract a following and and blow through those old gatekeepers and and, and gin up attention and, and controversy. And they seem to have been just caught blindsided by this. I mean, is that your impression? Were they really shocked that this got this much attention? It was our by far our number one trending story on the website yesterday. I think they were very surprised. Again, I don't think that they expected me to go public at all. I think that they probably thought I would be embarrassed by the whole situation and I would just want to put it behind me. I'm not embarrassed. I'm infuriated. I think it's so unjust that I feel obligated to speak out about it. And you make a good point about social media, right? I mean, Twitter was my downfall, but it's also one of my greatest assets. And I've been in this business for six years. I've made a lot of friends in conservative media. I have a lot of really powerful allies. 
And so they just made a huge miscalculation that thinking because I was a two day a week part-time host that nobody would care what happened to me. Yeah. And clearly a lot of people have, a lot of people have rallied to your defense. Amber, I love the radio business. I used to work in radio myself about 10 years ago. I was a producer for a small news radio station and met some of the best people who I've I've worked with in there. I mean, it was just the old school guys who like were deaf out their ears because they've been blasting music through the headphones for decades on end. Um, just really, you know, old school radio guys for whom this was their life and, and really grow to appreciate that. And back then it was more I think there was more solidity and more coherence to conservative talk. It was kind of, it, it may have had a future more, a little bit more than it looks like it does now. But I also remember them being terrified of the, the media matters back then, you know, the, the boycotts that were going out every time a conservative said something controversial. And the hosts would usually survive. I mean, Rush Limbaugh was on like 600 stations. Of course, he was going to persist, but it could cause headaches for these small stations that were in some cases bleeding money, you know, that, that we're operating on a very, very thin profit margin. And it, it ginned up a lot of fear. There's a lot of skittishness. Does that still exist? Is that what you fell victim to here? You know, I'm not sure because normally when these smear campaigns happen, they go after the advertisers. They don't actually usually go directly to corporate. It uh, This was a rather unique case in that Obviously, the advertisers are different across different stations, and I don't think these people were even intelligent enough or forward-thinking enough to try to figure out who was advertising on WMAL and try to reach out to them directly. I'm sure what they would have found if they had tried that is that a lot of the people who advertise on WMAL are actually true believers in the cause. I know a lot of the companies involved in selling advertisements, and they advertise there for a reason and not just because it's a moneymaker. I actually was being set up with an endorsement deal the morning that I was fired. So I had meetings that morning about a live read that I had already recorded. I was supposed to attend an event for this company. And I'm not going to say them publicly because I don't know if they, obviously if they want to be involved in this. But we had this whole deal that was being worked out a week after people were emailing Cumulus about this supposed problem. And then just a few hours later, I was fired. So it's hard for me to believe that there was any advertiser pushback going on here. I think this was just pure cowardice on the fact on the uh, backs of corporate executives. Yeah, and I want to make clear, I mean, I, I don't buy into the left's notion that words are weapons or somehow they're, you know, th- it's the same thing as picking up a stone and throwing it. But there are statements that are controversial. There are statements that can even be harmful in a certain sense. Um, and, and people have gotten in trouble for them. You know, we have to be able, I think, to distinguish between uh, the content of speech, certainly, while, of course, opposing all all forms of censorship. But what strikes me about this is that what you said was, to get back to this, what you said was so harmless. I mean, it really just was a, a joke. I think it was perfectly clear from the tweet that you weren't referring to a race. You mentioned UPS beforehand. Uh, she was wearing a brown dress. I mean, it, it was fairly you know transparent what the color of it was. And, and, and it just fell in line with what a lot of other people were, were talking about. It, it was not, it, it really didn't jump out at me. It just struck me as being kind of quotidian. And it makes me wonder, you know, what, is there a cancel culture that exists among right-wing companies, right-wing institutions now too? Uh, is, are the walls going to start closing in a little bit here? Yeah, I don't know, maybe. And I am I'm a little reluctant to even characterize Cumulus as a conservative company. I think that WML is conservative. 
But corporations don't really have politics, right? Like they kind of just do what's convenient for them and what is what they consider in the moment to be the most financially responsible or profitable decision. And actually, my time working at WML was frustrating at times because I would see some of the internal things that were going on at Cumulus in terms of some of the documents and, and emails they were sending or trainings that we had to go through and things like that. And I was really disturbed by a lot of it. And I kind of wondered how it was possible for this corporation to be in charge of what has been such an unapologetically conservative radio station. And then it turns out that uh, my fears, unfortunately, were justified. They don't understand what their talent does on air. They don't understand why it's important. They don't understand why they need to have editorial independence. They don't understand why it's problematic to get rid of somebody for a joke about the most powerful woman in the country's outfit. And and that's just the long and short of it, is that you have these people at the switch who really have no idea why conservative media matters, or nor do they agree with any of our values. And so for conservative media to ultimately be successful, in my opinion, you can't be under corporate media because there's there's just no way for those two things to peacefully coexist when corporations are so insistent on bending to woke cancel mobs. Yeah, it, it strikes me that we're all kind of trapped in the middle here, right? Because you have these remote, gigantic corporate elites who are disconnected from their customers and their talent. And you have these remote, distant Twitter elites who are screaming about various woke ideologies and, and demanding that people get canceled all the time. And the former are constantly giving into the latter. And everybody else is just kind of stuck. You know, they're, they're in the middle there and they're, they're getting subjected to all this. I'm writing about a piece about Disney right now where it's very much the same dynamic. You know, this company that built itself on the backbone of the American middle class, not only are they pricing out the middle class from even being able to come into their theme parks, their, their ticket prices have gone up outrageously. Uh, but they're also promoting values that have nothing to do with the middle class. So the middle class finds repulsive. And so I take your point. It's almost like we have to find a model that isn't as reliant on big corporations because otherwise we're just going to get continue to get trapped in between. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I sometimes cringe at like the Daily Wire making their own razors, for example. But I also <laughs> recognize that what they're doing is really important. And and I think that more conservatives need to be focused on not just building alternatives, but building good alternatives. Like having a crappy alternative to Twitter that is buggy and has a miles long wait list is not going to be enough. You have to actually build things that are functional, that people want to use. And in terms of things like art, you have to hire people that actually know how to make good movies or produce good content as opposed to just shoehorning in these very obvious conservative messages and trying to lecture people the same way that the left does. So it's really an entire cultural institution that needs to be built by conservatives. So it's no easy undertaking, but it's really the only way that I see conservatives being able to take back the culture in the face of all of these threats from cancellation, debanking, you know, uh, kids being indoctrinated in the schools, having the DOJ come after you for speaking up on behalf of your kids. There's just so many existential threats that it really has to be a multi-pronged approach to taking back American culture. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. 
And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available. Yeah.